From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A surgeon at Upstate offers an advanced treatment for atrial fibrillation, and Dr. Stephen Waterford is at HealthLink on Air to tell us about it. Thank you for making time, Dr. Waterford. Well, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Now, we're going to talk about this. It's called the TT maze ablation. But first, let me ask you to give sort of a brief description of atrial fibrillation. What is AFib? Yeah, AFib is an irregular rhythm of the heart that um, about five or six million Americans have and can develop from aging or also other associated conditions. And the principal risk of this abnormal rhythm is you can feel short of breath or lightheaded or can have a stroke uh, develop from it. Uh, so those are the main uh, problems with it. So how would you know if you have this? I mean, other than if you have shortness of breath or something, is are there other signs that would alert a person that they've developed this, you know, over that over time? Some people will have palpitations and they will actually feel their heart racing when they're in AFib. I would say that's the minority of patients. And um, the majority are discovered just incidentally by their doctor when they get an EKG of the heart. And then the final answer I would say is that there are now monitoring devices that go with people's iPhones. Uh, so the Cardia app or there are other ones and people can actually put their fingers on pads and actually see if they have AFib. So I've started to see patients who have discovered they've had AFib using some of the more modern technologies uh, integrated with phones. Wow, interesting. Yeah. All right, so that's something everyone sort of needs to have in the back of their mind then. Correct. And we say amongst us all as doctors that if we as a doctor had AFib, it'd be the first thing we tried to get rid of because we've okay. seen so okay. many patients have problems with it. So we're, as a community ourselves, we're sort of uh, the hypervigilant ones that try to get rid of it when we have it. Well, let me ask you about treatments, because does everyone who have has AFib, does everyone need treatment? Yeah, so I would say that um, for some people, there are sort of a couple different avenues of treatment for everybody. One is to try to control the rate of the AFib. So you're not going to try to get rid of the rhythm. You're just going to try to manage it by making sure it doesn't go too fast. The other strategy is called rhythm control, where you actually try to abolish the AFib rhythm and get it back into sinus rhythm. And so those are the two main pathways for treatment of AFib. And I would say most people, generally, it's advisable to have something done, unless you're only in AFib a few minutes a day or something like that. So when you said sinus rhythm, that's the normal heart rhythm. It's called a sinus rhythm? Exactly. And it just comes from a part of the heart called the sinus node that uh, just carries that name. Well, it sounds like each of these cases may be very different depending on the type of rhythm, the other problems the patient might have. I mean, it seems like it's going to kind of call for an individualized treatment. Yeah, you're right, because um, AFib is incredibly complex in the sense that some people need rate control, some people need rhythm control, and still others need the stroke risk reduced from the AFib. And that can be done by a watchman device, which can be put in by a cardiologist or by a surgeon like myself that can get rid of that part of the heart from the outside of the heart. And that reduces or eliminates in many cases the risk of stroke from AFib. So you're correct that 
there's a it's, it's a there's a, it's a complex area actually. Well, your Watchman device is that a pacemaker or does that what does that do? So basically, it's um, it's not a pacemaker, which uh, is basically required if you have sort of too slow of a heart rate, uh, for instance. Um, and some people with AFib do have that. When they go in and out of AFib, when they come out of it, their heart rate's so slow, they need a pacemaker to back them up. The Watchman device, there's a little portion of the heart called the appendage. And just like you have an appendix and you sort of, you know, can get appendicitis, well, this appendage can get clot in it. And that clot can then move off and go to the brain. So the Watchman device is placed inside the appendage and closes it off, almost like shutting the door to a room so that things can't go in and out of that room and make clot. And then as a surgeon, I can also put a fabric clip on the outside of it that clips it closed so that no blood can ever go in there. So there are just a couple different ways that you can remove the appendage. And that's what we as physicians are so vigilant about. Like we ourselves, I've known several doctors who have sent themselves for a watchman or for a clip um, simply because they don't wanna have a stroke from it. And what I would like to say, Amber, is that strokes from AFib are worse than strokes from any other cause because wow. the blood clots are larger. And so when those move off, you can you know, knock out an arm or a leg. It can be really bad strokes. And that's one of the reasons in the beginning I said we as doctors want to get rid of the appendage in ourselves when, if we discover we're in AFib. I've heard of a treatment called ablation. If AFib continues to be a problem for someone, if medications don't work, what is the concept behind ablation as a treatment? Just as you pointed out, it's really used as a treatment for people who haven't had medications work to control the AFib and bring them into sinus rhythm. And an ablation simply describes the cauterization or freezing. So you can either heat it or cool it. And those marks in the heart prevent the current from being conducted in a manner that generates AFib. And the simplest way I can say to explain it to people is AFib sort of forms a circle of current and it just goes around and around in a circle. And what ablation does is it puts lines across these circles such that the current can no longer travel in a circle. And that heart then only is capable of being in sinus rhythm instead of in AFib if the ablation is successful. So it just blocks the current. It, it just phys physically creates it's, a barricade. That's exactly right. It's like building a wall on, on your property between two other properties. People can't go from one yard to the next. Well, the current can't go from one yard to the next and generate AFib. And the ablations can either be done by a cardiologist called an electrophysiologist who specializes in that area of the heart, or it can be done by a surgeon like myself. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Stephen Waterford about an advanced treatment for AFib called the TT Maze. So let's talk about the TT Maze ablation specifically. It's described as minimally invasive. What does that mean? So the TT Maze is minimally invasive because it makes very small incisions that are a centimeter or less in the chest and does the entire ablation through small incisions using the assistance of a video camera. And it does not use any incisions in the body. So other minimally invasive heart surgery often uses a eight centimeter incision. Here there's only one centimeter or less incisions in the chest. The other reason it's minimally invasive is it does not use a heart lung machine. So for many forms of heart surgery, the heart stopped and started and that's what keeps people in the hospital for a week. 
after heart surgery. With this procedure, the heart's left beating the whole time and it's full of blood and it's ejecting its own blood, just like when you're talking to someone or sitting in a chair and so forth. So while you're having that heart procedure, the heart's beating the whole time. So people tend to go home after a couple of days. So are you just accessing the outside of the heart? Yes, that is um, very true. So we use specialized devices that are called radio frequency devices, and they're similar to what's used with catheterization, but they're um, a bit more powerful. So therefore, the TT maze is a good procedure for people who have failed a catheter ablation or for people who have been in atrial fibrillation for more than a year because we know that catheter ablation is often not effective for those patients who have failed catheter ablations before or have been in it for more than a year. So this procedure, because we're able to use more powerful devices, is a great option for those patients. Is there anyone with AFib who would not be a candidate for this procedure? Yeah, so I would say that if you're in and out of AFib, you don't, you're not in it all the time, then the best thing for those patients is either medication or a catheter ablation, because usually catheter ablation works for that type of AFib, which is technically called paroxysmal AFib, but just means you're in and out of it. Those can usually be dealt with with a catheter-based procedure by a cardiologist. Well, let me ask you, if you could, walk us through what a patient could expect if they're going to have a TT maze procedure. Are there things they're going to have to do ahead of time? Yeah, so typically for those patients, we like to get a stress test. Just make sure that they don't have any evidence of coronary artery disease by being on a treadmill for 10 minutes and so forth. And then getting a CAT scan of the chest because we want to know the anatomy of the vein. So we just like to do a CAT scan of the chest for that reason. Um, other than that, they can just show up on the morning of surgery. Uh, they go to sleep. Procedure takes about three hours in total. The key parts of it are about an hour and a half. And then the breathing tubes removed at the end of the procedure and they go back upstairs to a regular bed and usually stay for a couple days. And when they wake up, they have a chest tube on both sides of the chest, just one on the left, one on the right. Those are usually removed the day after surgery. And then the day after that, they'd go home. So I've seen a description that in this procedure, the doctor creates a pattern of scar tissue. So what else can you tell me about the pattern that you use? Is it the same for each patient or how do you decide? People have tried to map AFib and come up with individualized ablation. But what they found is that your AFib on one day can look different than it does on another day. So what they found was the best way to do a thorough ablation is to create a standard template of lesions that addresses all the different possible circuits of current. And that was first developed where I did my heart surgery fellowship in St. Louis in 1987, and it's called the Mays procedure. And so the Mays procedure has sort of a defined set of, of lesions or burns or scar tissue that's created, almost like the scaffolding on the outside of a building. So you walk by a lot of different buildings and you see that same scaffolding they put up. Well, this is like that. It's like putting up the same scaffolding that treats that AFib. And that's been found in long-term studies that doing a standard set of ablations gives you the best long-term success. And that's what we see with surgery for AFib. So that's why I recommend ultimately surgeries because we can get to the point of being 80% successful. Whereas with a lot of catheter ablations for long-standing AFib, you're looking at maybe 20 or 50% and sometimes with multiple ablations.
So if a patient is in AFib before the surgery and then they, they have the procedure, how how soon are they out of AFib? Does that happen as soon as you? Well, I will tell you my policy is I don't let anyone leave the operating room in AFib. So, um, so by the end of the procedure, I would say it's a rare patient, but over 95% are in sinus rhythm at the end of the procedure, which is gratifying. And, um, you know, we like to try to keep it that way by having people take some medicine to suppress anything for a few months. If they're still not in AFib at a few months and they just stop taking medicines and that's, which is really the goal of the procedure. So will they feel when they wake up in the hospital, will they feel a difference? Generally? Yeah, actually, some patients do notice. In fact, uh, the first uh, patient that I did at Upstate did wake up that way and said that he felt much better right away. So that was a patient who was particularly attuned to his AFib. Um, for other people, they'll notice an increase in energy level, a decrease in shortness of breath, and then just a certain relief that they know they're not going to have a stroke. Because with the TT maze, I always clip off that stroke center of the heart called the appendage. Um, so that's really the goal is to be off medications, feeling better. And often if you get ultrasounds of the heart after you do this, the pump actually gets stronger because AFib will weaken the pump of the heart. So wow. there's a lot of different benefits of people can feel better, feel less short of breath, not be taking rhythm control medications. And then finally, be off their Coumadin or Eliquis or Xarelto off the blood thinners they were on. Because once I've clipped the appendage, you don't need to be on blood thinners in the long run. Wow. Now, is there any chance that AFib would redevelop later in the future? So about 20% will have more than 30 seconds a day of AFib. About 5% will still be in AFib. So 95% will not be in AFib constantly. And that's really the best success that we have. There's no 100% for AFib, but getting up into those percentages is pretty, pretty good. And I'll say that even for that small fraction that fail, the great news is they still don't have to take Coumadin or Eliquis or any blood thinner to prevent a stroke because I've already gotten rid of the appendage. And to me, that's half the benefit for me, in my view. Mm, that is good news. Now, how would you instruct listeners to get in touch with you if they think they would be a candidate for this procedure? Should, should they question. just call? Well, good question. Actually, we do have a new AFib phone line, which is 315-500-AFib. Um, oh. Very easy to remember. So any patient can call um, in that number, which is 315-500-AFib uh, and get in touch with us at any time. And so um, that, that phone number is staffed by, you know, very knowledgeable uh, people. And, and it really comes straight to me as well. And I work with electrophysiologists. And so we have a team approach so that if someone's better for a catheter ablation, they can still call that 500 AFib number, and they will get in touch with the proper electrophysiologist. So that's what we're trying to do really at Upstate is make sure that, you know, it's not about my, I don't have any specific goal to operate on, on patients. My goal is really that that patient gets in touch with a proper physician, whether that's an EP doctor or a cardiologist who can manage their medicines or me, if it's a particularly bad case of AFib. So we really work as a team. It's, it's myself and Dr. Bohini. Dr. Chowdhury, so Dr. Bohini is an electrophysiologist. Dr. Chowdhury is the chair of cardiology now. So all three of us really work together to decide, oh, maybe that person needs a watchman. Maybe this person needs an ablation. Maybe that person needs surgery. 
Yeah, well, very good. Thank you so much to Dr. Stephen Waterford. He's an assistant professor of surgery at Upstate, and he specializes in cardiothoracic surgery. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.